So good. Isn't that awesome? Are you glad to be in church? Are you having a fun day? Good. Well, as you can see, I'm not Brother Moore. (laughs) Um, We're believing they're getting some rest, much needed rest. I don't know if you kept up with his schedule, but he's traveled a whole lot in the last month, and so it's an honor for them to get to rest some. And uh, today, uh, as I was getting ready and I went through and was studying, um, it dawned on me that this is Independence Day weekend. And so I wanted to take just a moment and talk about that because it's such an honor to be an American, to be in the U.S. It's such an honor to have the freedom and the privileges that we have. To be able to walk out in the marketplace and boldly say, God bless you. God loves you. To be able to talk freely about our religion. To be able to talk about our Jesus and not be ashamed or worried or in fear that somebody may come against you. But to be able to do it bold and unashamed. And uh, I wanted to read for you. um, In 1776, John Adams wrote to his wife a note. And what he wrote her said, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance from solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this, from this time forward, forevermore. That's what... The guys that did the Declaration of Independence, that's what they wanted. They wanted it celebrated because we had freedom. Not just freedom, but because of Almighty God. And so if you would, would you stand with me for just a minute? We're just going to praise God and thank Him for all He's done for this country, this nation, for our people. And we're also going to pray protection over all of those who are serving right now, keeping us safe, that He'll keep them out of harm's way. So agree with me as I pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for this great nation, for all You do for us. We thank You that You gave us freedom, protection. Father, we thank You that we can speak Your Word boldly in this nation, that it can go across TV and Internet and all around the world because You have given this nation freedoms that we enjoy. Father, I thank You for lives and souls and blood that was paid for that price. Lord, we thank You for them. We ask, Lord, that You protect each person that's in harm's way this day. Give them protection and guidance and direction to lead them safely home as they monitor and control and as they continue to fight for our freedom. And we thank you. We don't take it lightly. And we give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
It's a great thing, isn't it? Man. Why don't you start out by turning to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to talk today about confident in God's love. Confident in God's love. Galatians 5 and 6 in the King James. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. <clears throat> Go to the Amplified. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith activated, energized, expressed, and working through love. Another way you can read that is only faith activated by love, energized by love, expressed by love, and working through love. Um, one time in healing class, I was talking about uh, some body work, and it related to something that I knew a little bit about, and they've got body putty. And that body putty is like a gray goo or whatever color you buy of it, but it, it won't get solid. It just lays there. You can have the biggest mound of body putty, and it will be absolutely useless until you take this little bitty tube and you put the app the activator into that body putty. Now, it doesn't take a lot to activate a whole lot of body putty, but then it makes it usable, and it'll work for you, and it'll do what you need it to do. Faith is the same way. You can, you can read and read and read and study. You know, faith only comes by the Word, right? You can't pray and get faith. I'm sorry. I looked it up. I tried to find it. There's only one scripture that says you can get faith. And it comes by the Word. Can't get it any other way. And so you can study the Word and read the Word and build your faith up. But unless you have love, it won't be applied. It won't work. You can have all of the Scripture knowledge you want to have, but without faith, or without that love, that faith doesn't do anything for you. And so... I wanted to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be in the NIV, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now go on down to 1 John. We'll run back there. 1 John and 4, <laughs> verses 7 and 8. I said in the first service, but uh, when I read this, the jingle of that song always comes to mind. So it kind of has that rhythm. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So, if you went back to 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through, or let's go to verse 4. 13 and 4 in the NIV. God is love. And we're going to reread that. On four, only we're going to trade out and put God there. It says, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God is not rude. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil but rejoices in in the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God never fails. Now the reason I wanted to do that is we use the word love frivolously. We cast it on all kinds of stuff. I love my notebook. I love my dress or my shoes or my clothes or I love my car or this hat or that hat or I love this or that. And we throw it at everything to the point that it's just an adjective. It's just a word we throw out to describe something. It's not the way God intended it. You see, the word love is God. So... As we use that word, we take away from the value of it. The enemy has got us to speak love over all kinds of stuff because he's desensitizing us to the faith and to the hope and to the joy and to the love of God. He's taken all of that power away from the word. And so we use the word love and when you're a child... And, and the people around you that love you, you have perfect faith in them. You trust them completely. My daughter Jessica, whenever uh, she was, just after she was born, I would pick her up and hold her in my hand and she'd stand in it. Well, after a while, standing down here wasn't as much fun, so we got her standing up here. And uh, so she would want to be lifted So I'd put my hand down, she'd get in it, I'd raise her up and hold her above my head, and she'd stand there all pretty and just stand there. She had no fear. This was before she was walking. She was standing over my head. And 
There was no concern on her part. She was like, oh, dad's got me, it's okay. And she would stand, and she thought it was great. If she did get off balance and fall, she'd giggle till I caught her. Because there was no fear in it. She was confident that I was going to be there. And then, as she grew up and as we grow up, those around us that we throw love at, they fail us. They don't come through. Or, and, and most of it's not intentional. But the idea is those people didn't do what they said they were going to do. And so over a period of time, those that we love, that we talk about loving, that we, that we count on, that we depend on, don't come through. And so we associate that with the love of God. And so then when we get in a trial, when we get in a situation and we have to depend and count on the love of God, the love we see in our mind is more of a love of sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. I think that's why so many people say, well, you know, sometimes, sometimes God does, sometimes He doesn't. Because that's the way our society has built love up. They built it up to the point that sometimes... They'll do what you need them to do, but part of the time you just need to plan on them not. And I was talking about if, if your best friend introduces you to somebody and they talk to them and they go, hey, this is my best friend, man. He is great. Sometimes he'll do what he tells you. Sometimes he won't. <laughs> now that's not very good. That didn't build you up or edify you, did it? But yet we talk about the creator of the universe in that way. We talk about him as sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't because we don't have confidence in the love of God. You see, if we had full confidence in the love of God, we would do exactly what the Word says. I hear stories all the time. One gentleman, he had grown up in a... uh, like a foster home. And through some abuse and through other stuff, and he got a page of the Bible and was reading it. And how they laid hands on the sick and saw him recover. And so he just went out, laid hands on people, and God healed them left and right. And then after a period of time, he got around some church people, and they tried to convince him that it wouldn't always work. He said, it has every time. I've, I've never not done it and it not work. But yet, they wanted him to get the idea that sometimes it won't. And he said, I never had that in the world. The world was just excited that, that I, I would see somebody hurting and go, hey, can I pray with you? God wants to heal you. Do you know that? And lay hands on them and they'd walk away whole. He goes, you know, they didn't complain at all. And then I thought I would go to a church. And I sat down and I told them I was all excited. You know, I laid hands on this many people and God healed them. And I talked to this person that was down and out. And God picked them up and gave them answers. And said, and he was all excited. And they're like, well, now, brother. Now, he doesn't always do that. But he does. And he's always there for us. I want to talk to you today about this love. 
about the love of God, the love of God that surpasses all of our knowledge and our revelation, the love of God that you can depend on, the love of God that when you're down and out, He reaches down and picks you up, the love of God that that makes you happy to tell somebody. How many of you remember right after you got saved, you could not wait to go tell people, this burden that was on you, it's gone. Glory to God, I've just lied, I just want to run around. I'm just happy, I'm so excited. And then you get through the grunge and the grime, and you get weighted down a little bit, and God shows you, hey, you don't have to carry that anymore. So you go, praise the Lord, I knew that. Lord, forgive me for carrying that. All of a sudden, you're right back in that same state. You're excited again. You're light, you're easy, everything goes well, you're excited. You just go through that cycle. Wouldn't it be great if we could stay in that cycle? If we could stay excited. If we could stay in that light and easy mode. When we get the revelation that God loves us the way Jesus talks about God loving us, we don't ever have to come out of it. I don't think Jesus ever had a down day. I don't think he ever wondered if his father would get him out. I don't think he ever said, well, you know, Peter, sometimes dad will get us, sometimes he won't. I don't think he ever said that. I think he was excited every day. Go to John chapter 4 on down to verse 9. Verse 9 in the King James. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son unto the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is a pretty big word. So let's go to the NIV. Verse 10. He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And if you haven't grown up around church, atoning probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you. So let's go to the message. (laughs) But that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that those sins have done to our relationship with God. Now that makes it where everybody can kind of chew on it and understand it. You see, sin's a separation from God. And so... He loved us so much, He wanted to bridge that gap again. He wanted to bring us back to a place where we could commune with Him like we were in the garden before sin. And so, He sent His Son, and it bridged the gap in that relationship, and it mended that relationship between us and the Father. Go to John 3.16. This is another scripture that uh, if you don't watch yourself, you'll run right through it. 
and there's a whole lot in there. But uh, we get in the habit of reading it and quoting it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Now, I want to talk to you about that word condemn. It's one of the greatest enemies of faith. You can study and read and, and, and prepare yourself all you want in an area you're struggling in. But if condemnation's in your life, you don't feel like you're worthy to pray. Like you're worthy for the Father to hear you. And that's why Jesus came. He came that we would be able to bridge that. To be able to come boldly to the throne of grace. To be able to come in and talk to God like He's our dad. Not like He's like, Holy Father. But like Dad. Remember Abba, Father. Or Daddy. That's what we want. I want somebody I can talk to. I want somebody that I know that when I talk to them, they're listening. When I talk to them, you can feel their presence talking back to you. That's what I look forward to. I look forward to sitting at my table, studying, and the presence of God being so strong in that room that you just want to go on. You just want to be able to, to bask in that presence and never ever come out of it. You just want that love that's around you at that moment to consume you so much that you just don't want to leave it. When Jesus went up away from the people, I believe that's that love that built Him up. When He withdrew Himself so He could get regenerated from preaching and being drawn on. When he withdrew himself, I believe the minute he got away, he goes, Dad, those arms wrapped around him. And that love filled him up full and overflowing to where the first time somebody said something to him, love came out. There wasn't pain or suffering or I laid hands on 5,000 people today, get away from me. It was... What do you need? And can I help you? Would you allow me to take that? You see, that's that love. Not what you want. But what can I do for you? May I be able to fix that? Would you allow me to do that? I want with all of my heart to be able to take that away from you and give you this joy, this love, this peace. Every time Jesus withdrew, I think that built up in him. I think God is love. Remember? 1 John, or John chapter 1, verse 1. I'll let him put it up. I want to just quote really quick, so I'm, I'm trying to do better. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Go to verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. 
Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, God Himself was manifest in front of Him. In a bodily form. He laid aside His mighty weight and power, but He doesn't say He laid aside His love and compassion. The grace and the love and the compassion exuded out of Him. When He would walk up to somebody, I truly believe they thought they were the only ones in the world at that moment. I got to see that watching somebody minister a while back. Um, there was people everywhere, and they would talk to one, one person going down a line and go, what can I do for you? And people everywhere, and I'm there where I can see their eyes, and they're focused on one person and one person only. And it's like everything else just fades away. And at that moment in time, there's only those two people and the love of God wanting to take care of that need. Wanting to fill it. And that person, I'm so sure, just from, the, from watching the outcome, felt like they were the only person that mattered in their life at that moment. And I think that's what Jesus did every person He met. When the multitudes came to Him, it records that He laid hands on every one of them and healed them and delivered them. And I think at that moment... He walked down every person and said, what can I do for you? And when he looked at them, they knew without a doubt the love that was in him would bridge any doubt, any fear, would take care of any heartache. And that same love coming out destroyed the yoke and it healed their body. Just because of the love that was in Him. That love is God. So whenever you look in somebody's eye and you feel love, you're feeling God manifest here on the earth through the love of a person. Isn't that awesome? God put part of Him in every one of us. If we'll receive it, the Holy Spirit will reside in you. And when you look at somebody, the Holy Spirit and the love of God will flow through you. And they'll feel the love of God just by you looking at them. Just by you talking to them. That love is what we want confidence in. That love is something that you can, you can run to in trial. You can come to in torment. That love is something you can depend on at crunch time. Because you know that love never fails. When you mess up, that same love won't condemn you. Remember the adulterous woman? They brought the adulterous woman to Jesus. And, <laughs> and I said this in first service, but those people carried stones in their pockets. I don't know if you looked at pictures of overseas, but I've looked at a quite a few of them. And some areas got rocks. A lot of areas don't. But yet everywhere these people were, they had rocks. 
And they were quick to pull them out and throw them. And so, in my mind, I see them leaving to go somewhere and going, Hey, Dan, grab the rocks. There may not be any over here. (laughs) Might be somebody messed up. We'll get to stone them today. They were almost excited about the judgment coming. Because they were quick to grab the adulterous woman, drag her out, take her to Jesus, say, hey, we're supposed to stone her. What do you think? They wanted him to say, okay, yeah, that's what the Mosaic Law says. You should stone her. They already had rock in hand. They're waiting for the opportunity. And over and over and over, when Jesus is talking and he says something that makes them mad, they all got stones already. They're standing there. How would you like to preach in front of that? Go ahead, talk. You say one thing out of line, buddy, I'm ready. But you see, that's kind of the atmosphere that it was. They were quick to condemn. The law does not pat you on the back for good. It beats you up and kills you for bad. That's the trouble with the law. There's no grace in it. The law only works when you mess up. You never come in contact with the law when you follow it and abide with it. The only time you hear or see about the law is when you mess up. So you could be perfect your whole life and the law be waiting right there like a gavel to beat on you. That's what the law did. But this Jesus... They bring this adulterous woman out. And they said, we should condemn her. What do you say? Well, he kneels down and he writes. And I believe the love of God came out around about him. And how many of you have ever been in a situation where something wasn't quite right? And you believe in God, and just the presence of God on you convicts people of their sin. You ever seen that? Smith Wigglesworth was on a train, and he didn't say a thing. He sat down on the train, and pretty soon somebody stood up and said, You convinced me of sin! He didn't say anything. It was just the presence of God around about him. How much more with Jesus? And so I think the presence of God showed those people. Man, remember what you did the other day? Good thing they didn't catch you. How about you? What did you say the other day? Well, good thing nobody was around to hear that. And before long, everybody's gone. And it's just Jesus and this woman. And he looks at her and he goes, where's your accusers? She said, nobody's accusing me. He goes, well, neither do I. Go. Don't sin anymore. The love of God in him. Now, you want to know why he couldn't do that? Go to Psalms 107 and 20. See, I remembered it this service. Praise the Lord. You were ready, weren't you? You was going to give it to me? (laughs) Says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Just for remembering, put John 1 and 1 back up there.
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Go to 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is why that adulterous woman didn't get condemned. This is why He could not judge her on that. God sent His Word. He sent Jesus to heal her. He sent Jesus to deliver her out of her destruction. And so when she was in that particular situation, Jesus couldn't condemn her. Remember, we, went, we just read the Scripture in John 3.17. He sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. That word saved means to preserve, to heal, to be whole, or to make whole. Not just salvation for the future, but for now. Deliverance from every trial. Healing from every sickness and disease. If there's a part of you that's not whole, that salvation, that same love, that same anointing will make you whole again. That's the love of God. That's why when He looked on the adulterous woman, He had compassion on her, love for her. And He couldn't condemn her because God sent Him so He wouldn't condemn. So He would be in direct violation of what God sent Him to the earth to do. He was incapable of condemnation. But He, had, he was full of grace. Glory to God. Go to John, 1 John 3. First John 3 and 20 says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Go back to uh, verse 20 on that. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. God's love. So you can trade that out and put love is greater than our heart. Because when condemnation comes, it's because there's an absence of love. If somebody's condemning you, they can't be loving you. Because God and Jesus were the same. And if Jesus can't condemn, God can't condemn. And if God can't condemn, love cannot condemn. And so, when we love somebody, we can't condemn them. All we can do is what Jesus did. Pick them up, help them. Tell them, hey, don't do it anymore. Like Jesse's marriage counseling. Admit it, quit it, forget it. <laughs> Ought to be that simple with everything we do. Amen. Admit it, quit it, and then forget about it. That's what God does. <laughs> Go to First John 1.9. 
kind of skipping through all my notes. This is the way God approaches it. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the moment we go, Lord, I messed up. Look at that. I did that. Forgive me. He goes, okay. And then you come back two seconds later, God, what do I do about, about what? Well, that, that I, don't, I don't recall. Well, yeah, I mean, it was terrible. I just, I got no record of it. I don't know what you're talking about. Wouldn't that be great in Christians? It can be there. That's the love of God. To where if somebody comes up and says, man, I'm so sorry, I messed up. And you go, that's great. It's okay. I forgive you. I love you. Go on. And then the next time you see them, that topic never comes up again. Wouldn't that be refreshing? To never ever hear about that again. You see, that's what the world desires. In the world, so many times something happens and and it's forgot about. You just know in the world not to bring it up. Somebody does something on the job and it hurts somebody or it did something. You don't talk about it forever. You fix the problem. They're not going to do it again. You don't bring it back up. But so many times in a church setting, we want to be able to help them grow. Brother, you remember that time. I'm just trying to help you. And uh, you see, the love of God doesn't do that. The love of God builds you up, helps you, delivers you, and we can have confidence in it. <laughs> Going back to John 5, 1 John 5 and 14, just a couple of pages. It says, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know if He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. And if you... We're going to run back to John, Big John chapter 5. Trying to keep them straight. I got John, 1 John, John, 1 John. John chapter 5 and 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but shall pass from death into life. That's what we're after. Amen? Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. 
For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by one offense, for by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men unto condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Then go on to Romans 8. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. You see, we've been made righteous. When we accept Jesus as our personal Savior, His righteousness, His robe of righteousness comes upon us. We are now worthy to stand in the front, right up in amongst God. Get right in there. The holy of holies. Walk in and go, hey dad, what's up? You see, I can tell I've got three kids. And I know the moment I see them, if they think they're in trouble, if they're hurt, if they're scared, or if they want something. The moment I see them, I know it. I also know the moment I see all three of them together or two of them together, if one of them thinks they got something on the other. Because they, they just look at you like, he can't say nothing. I know something you don't know. And they just got that attitude like, I ain't getting in trouble today, they're going to cover me. Because I got something big. And if they say anything, I'm going to lay it out. Well, (laughs) we know our kids that way. God knows us the same way. And that's what's so awesome about being made righteous. That's what's so great about it. Because it's not on my merit. It's not because I did all of this work or I went here or I did that or I visited five people or I went and I got this many people saved or this many people this or that. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that I went to Jesus and I said, you're my Lord and I want to serve you with everything I got. Whatever you tell me, I'll do the best I know to do it. I am righteous in him. And at that moment, just like the prodigal son, when he came home after wallowing with the pigs, after not eating very well, not bathing hardly at all, probably, and then he went to his father, his father didn't run up and go, oh yeah, bath. I'll be with you in a minute. He ran up and he hugged him. And he loved him. Just the way he was. With all of the sin, with all of the grime and the dirt and the filth and the stench, He hugged Him and He loved Him anyway. 
And so, then he went and he got a robe on. And he said, basically, I don't want anybody else to see you in this condition. Go get the finest robe. We're going to cover you up. We're going to make you presentable to everybody that sees you. Not only that, I don't want them to think you're an outcast. So get the ring. I want them to know you're my kid. Put the ring on him. Put shoes on his feet. That's the love of God. That's the love that was shed abroad in us. That's the love that the people in the world are longing to be a part of. The people in the world want to be in a place where it's unconditional. Yeah, you may have messed up yesterday, but we still love you today. We want the best for you. We're here to pick you up, to help you, to get you back on your feet, not to keep knocking your feet out from under you. You see, the dad wrapped him up. The other thing I like is he wasn't ashamed of him, not at all. He put his robe and his ring and his shoes and he took him in and he goes, Hey, invite everybody over to come see my son. He wasn't ashamed. He didn't take him in the servant's entrance and clean him up. He said, Go kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. My son's here. Look at him. (laughs) So many times... People come in and they feel downcast and they feel left out. God doesn't want that. If you're here today and, and you feel like people look down on you, people don't believe in you, you can change that today. You can have that same love of God. You can be wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus Christ before you leave here. You can walk boldly into the throne of grace and say, Hey, Dad, what's up? And talk to Him one-on-one. You can go to Him and say, Hey, I'm hurting right here. And the love of God will come on you and destroy that yoke that binds you and heal your body. You can go to Him and say, Hey, Dad, I really need to make a house payment. And He'll love on you. And He'll set people up to help you, to deliver you. That's what He said. Remember Isaiah said, My word won't return unto me void, but it will accomplish everything that I set it out for. And then we read in Psalms that He sent His word to heal you, to deliver you from your destruction. Now, if he said, my word never returns unto me void, and he said he would heal you and deliver you, then it's settled. So if you're missing something, he'll give it to you. If you don't know him, all you got to do is ask. Go to Matthew 17 and 20. 
I felt like <laughs> I was trying to decide what to do. I felt like somebody was saying, yeah, but you don't understand. But I do. I've been an outcast. I've been sent away from my home church. I've been put outside for doing what I believed was right. I've been set apart to where I wasn't allowed to talk to people. Wasn't allowed to talk to my family about God or scriptures. or Wasn't allowed to be in among that. I know what it's like. I know the separation. I know the hurt. I know the feeling of wanting to be a part and walking in and trying to put on the facade of being happy and being a part of it. And all the time feeling inside like you were shunned and you could never fit in. I know how that is. Matthew 17 and 20. Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as the grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Be removed, remove thence yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible for you. And I'm going to run through these pretty quick. Matthew 19 and 26 says, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Luke 1 and 37 says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. The Amplified says, For with God, in that verse, For with God nothing is ever impossible, and no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. Luke 18 and 27, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So if you're dealing with stuff and you feel like nobody understands, nobody can relate, Jesus was an outcast. They spit on him. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. They held him up in front of people. If anybody was ever an outcast, it was Jesus. And he only did it for my sin and yours. The only reason he was there was because he was tempted at all points. He bore our sin. And so he became an outcast on your behalf, on my behalf. And so if anybody can relate to that, Jesus can. The love of God was shed abroad for each of us. He paid the price. He laid it out. He made it available. The reason I read you so many scriptures on what's impossible with men is possible with God is I don't want you to have any doubt No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done in your life, God is able to cleanse you, to clean you, to put that new robe of righteousness on you, set you upright and put you back in the family, put a ring on your finger, put new shoes on your feet, take you to the party as a special guest for everybody to see. 
Now that's exactly the opposite of being an outcast, going in the servant's entrance, hiding around the corner, not letting anybody see you. Jesus paid the price for you to come right on in, into the family, into the holy of holies, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. No matter if you serve God for years and you fell away from God, it doesn't matter. God still wants you back. He still loves you. He still wants you to know Him. He wants you to be so confident in His love that through every trial, you just go, Dad, I need help. And know He's going to bail you out of it. Would you stand with me? God loves you. He made a way for you. It's not by accident you're in this service. It's not by accident that I'm the one speaking. (laughs) Because I understand hurt. I understand pain. I understand feeling like you don't belong. But I also understand the righteousness of God. I also understand the love of God. And I want to trade your places from being an outcast to being one of the sons of God, the daughters of God. I want you to be able to see the love of God in me, on me, around me, in these people, so much so that you want to run to it. Because it's what you've been desiring. It's what you've wanted. God loves you. Sent His Son to die for you. To take your place, to pay it your way. And you're here in this service and you're hurting, but you don't have to hurt anymore. You don't have to be alone anymore. You don't have to feel like an outcast anymore. Would you all bow your head? Dear Lord, we thank you for your love, for your presence, for your anointing. Father, we thank you for your word that's gone forth. Lord, you promised in your word that it would destroy the yoke that binds us. Father, your word would draw us. And Lord, I ask you to draw people right now unto you. Lord, if they don't know you, I ask you to draw them mightily just now. Fill their heart full and overflowing with your love. Wrap your arms around them. Let them know that you're dealing with them. Lord, if they've got away from you, Deal with them, Lord.